Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. Welcome to episode 106 of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. And before we get into it, I just want to give you a couple of announcements about things that are going on and, and, and what's happening and whatnot. So the barbecue game show has been happening over in the Smoking Hot Confessions barbecue community on Facebook. We've run seven weeks of it so far. We've got three weeks left to go. Think of it like pub trivia, but it's all about barbecue. There's 20 questions, four rounds, multiple choice answers. One round is written by a, a guest quiz master. And to date, we've had some barbecue personalities, including Adam Roberts, Julianne Tyndall-Davies and Matt Harris as well. Um, the winner from each round gets a beautiful Smoking Hot Confessions tumbler. We're going to have, by the time this is published, there'll be two rounds left, round nine and round ten. The winner at the end of the championships is going to get a pretty awesome rub and merch pack from Four Monkeys, which has been generously donated by Dan Barrett. So that's really cool. The links to join us are in the events section of the Smoking Hot Confessions barbecue community over there. So make sure you get in there and check it out. And next is the come have a beer with me session. So at the moment, we're still kind of locked down. We, we can't go out to the pub and uh, have a drink with our mates and blow off some steam. So I've set up a Zoom group call, kind of like how we're doing this right now. And uh, we run that after the game show in a separate, uh, in a separate meeting. Um, so come join us and have a beer with me instead. Uh, it, it's a not branded session. It's not recorded. It's a safe space. Speak your mind. Uh, you know, get things off your chest if you need to, or just just hang out and chat. It's all good. Uh, next one is the beanies are finally here. I've been promising them to you for weeks. They're acrylic knit with premium 3D embroidery, and they come in any color you want as long as it's black. We've got a very limited run, um, so make sure you head on over to Smoking Hot Confessions dot com slash shop to get yours today. Now, today's podcast episode, a very good friend of the show is coming back to tell us about some big changes that they've had in their lives, a milestone they're celebrating, and they've got a very important lesson for those of you out there who are looking to get into recipe writing, which is going to be really cool. So you've, you've probably put it together by now, and if you're watching this live on Facebook, you will have seen already that today's guest is Saffron from Bush Cooking. Now, in this episode, we're not going to get into Saffron's background and how she got into barbecue. Today isn't Saffron's first rodeo. She's been on the show before. If you would like to get her backstory, go back in the podcast archives, check out episode 73. There's loads of great stuff in there. So today, what we're going to get into, we're going to get into her time as the executive director of the NBBQA and her takeaways for, from heading up a nonprofit organization. We're going to find out what she's up to now. Uh, we're going to ask her what is the deal with Americans and lamb in terms of barbecue. We're going to get a bit of a background on that. We're going to talk about probably the most underrated social media platform out there for barbecue. Um, and I'll wait until we're into that before we start getting into what that is. And we're going to finish up the episode with a lesson on how to write a recipe for a website for best SEO practice. So there'll be tips in there too for people who have, who have other types of websites as well. So make sure you stay tuned for that because we're going to find out all about how to put together a uh, recipe-based website with lots of tips for other stuff as well. So without further ado, let's get into it. 
This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Saffron, welcome back to the confessional. It's good to see you. Always wonderful to be here again. Yeah. So how are you? You're obviously at, at home like, like everybody else. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, very much at home. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be the original hotspot in uh, America, so I've been locked down for quite a while. How long have you been locked down for now? You know what? I lost count like <laughs> a few weeks ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's uh, better if you just don't think about it and just go with the flow. I'm, I'm in a routine now. I, I've got a daily plan. Uh, I head out to the shops about once a week and then I just work. Oh, cool. Very nice. Yeah, I, I must admit that your, your posts on, on Facebook were actually the, um, the first signs that I had seen that, uh, that this wasn't just, you know, a bad case of the sniffles. Um, so you did actually put up, put up one post that was really quite interesting about, um, about preppers and, uh, and the, the fact that you always carry a month's worth of supply of, of stock. So is that just because you like to be prepared. I, 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 I know that you have a lot to do with outdoor cooking and scouting and all that sort of stuff. Is that more to do with that? Or is that because, you know, you were just sort of ready, <laughs> for the global ready and waiting for something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is a little bit of the Boy Scouts being prepared. Uh, I've always carried a little bit, but um, living in Seattle uh, in this area, I don't know if many people know, but it's a huge earthquake potential area. When I first got here, I, I volunteered for the Red Cross. And when I started doing those classes, and because when you talk about massive geological occurrences, it's always like, you know, this will happen in thousands of years. This will, you know, you know, maybe in our lifetime. Uh, but they're here going, yeah, probably within 50 years. And I'm just like, what? And it's overdue. And they've got like really cool science on it and that type of thing. And then when I first moved here, it was three days, three ways was their big saying, and you had to keep three days worth of stock here. But after oh, wow. Katrina, and it took so long for uh, support to get in and just watching how uh, emergencies are responded to, I don't want to be that first person in line waiting for food. No, I you want do to be not. prepared. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, just by doing that and the local area where I live, there's a lot of overpasses, there's a lot of lakes, um, and I know just because of my volunteer work at Red Cross that the entire response for this area is almost completely air. There's no land or sea. They just assume that they won't be able to get to us. So uh, in one of the scariest statistics in my area I read was something like if it happens during a work day, 75% of families will not be able to get back to each other. So wow. I guess, yeah, I mean, we have earthquake drills here. We, we the public know about it. Uh, so that's why I personally carry a fair bit of stock here. But, you know, wherever you live, there's all, you know, you've just got to know your local dangers. Like there's people that get flooded about once every 10 years. You've got the tornadoes down south. You've got the hurricanes, the cyclones in Australia. There's always something. Admittedly, a pandemic's not really one that was on my list. But, um, yeah, it's always good to be prepared. Yeah, it's, it's certainly been um, a, like a real eye-opener just in terms of, you know, preparedness and all that sort of stuff. Because we, like, over here on the Gold Coast, we just had nothing. We had no preparations whatsoever. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I like to go camping, so I've got a couple of water containers that I could fill up from the tap, assuming that the water was good. Um, but that was it. 
and you know, like I, I grew up on a farm where we had bows and arrows and guns and all that sort of stuff. So if we had a needed food, we could have gone and found food, but got none of that here. So I, uh, my wife sent me out to the local camping supply shop to get some, uh, some water purification tablets and things like that. And I came back with a, with a hunting slingshot and, um, and, and uh, hunting slingshot, little ball bearings and little targets and things. And we've got plastic boxes set up with 20 liters of water and all these water purification tablets and stuff now. And because, yeah, it was just a real eye opener. It was like, well, this, this is stuff that, that could happen. And it's interesting that you talk about Seattle being, a, being an earthquake center because you hear a lot about California, but you, don't, you really don't hear much about, um, about Seattle being up there as well. Yeah, I mean, it affects all the states, obviously, between here and California is Oregon, and it actually goes partway up into Canada. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So that's not the only big change in your life since we last spoke. Um, you've, uh, you've moved on from being executive director of the NBBQA. So I, I thought we'd just take just a couple of minutes and just sort of summarize what were your biggest takeaways? Like what, what, what were your biggest things that you learned from, from heading up such a big non, non-profit organization? <laughs> I don't know if I learned anything new, but I definitely got a non-subtle reminders of things that I, I should have known already. <laughs> so, um, you know, just lots of the, the normal things. Uh, it is a, a non-profit. Uh, it is a board. So uh, a lot of people uh, seem to hold me responsible for a lot of things. We're really, I'm like the last person, like I'm sitting there, I, I prevent, provide information. I couldn't vote. I had no vote. It's a board run. Uh, like all the nonprofits, like the same as KCBS. I mean, there's a CEO in there, but she doesn't get a vote either. So just understanding nonprofits and just how they operate, sometimes I'm just like, I agree with you. I totally do. But again, <laughs> it's a board. So, you know, just the nature of those types of things. Uh, the other thing is a lot of the, the work prior to me was a CEO and then we moved on to the executive director. Um, and for those following it, when I left, there was no one backfilling. So we've slowly been on a journey moving over where volunteers and the board do more, if that makes sense. So before me, there was a lot more paid contractors to help with different components. And then they would slowly back them out. And now it's all board run. So uh, when you have a volunteer, you know, they, you know, and especially barbecue, barbecue is a very passionate thing. Even the people in business are in it because they have a love for it and they can stand there and be so excited about everything they're going to do. And it's not like an employee where you can just go do it or you're fired. It's just like, do it or don't do it. Can you just let me know so we can can plan around it? You know, so I think that that was like, you know, I should have known that. I know that I've worked with and for a lot of nonprofits uh, but, you know, it's just a little bit hard. Like there's some people that uh, I would really have liked to have seen come through on some of the things they said they were going to do because then we could do amazing things. But the reality is they're a volunteer and their businesses and their families and often their competitions get priority. Um, and that makes complete sense. So is it is it fair to say then that the biggest takeaway is um, learning new ways of, of, um, of, interacting and and working with uh different different groups of people that you hadn't worked with before um 
I think the biggest learning was patience. <laughs> um, but it, I don't think it was so much like new groups of people. I think it was just like how to, to motivate people. I mean, when money's not the motivator. Uh, I mean, if you look in society in general, no matter which country you're in at the moment, the biggest motivator is money. Okay. So although there is a return on investment in volunteering, particularly in a business association, because you're building businesses, you're raising the tide for all of them, when sometimes it's a little bit harder to see that back come back, um, it, it makes it harder to dedicate your time, energy, when you could be putting that into something else. I mean, I, I remember like someone saying something to me like, oh, the conference was a complete waste of time. And I was like, oh, really? Like you didn't get anything out of it or anything? If, if it wasn't for the fact I ran into blah, blah at the bar and started an entire new supply chain for my business, it would have been a waste of time. <laughs> and I was just like, uh, I think networking <laughs> is the entire point of the conference. So sometimes even when you're getting stuff back from it, you don't really know because we're so used to measuring the return on investment in dollar amounts that sometimes people forget the hidden connections and, you know, like the, the 5,000 extra viewers you might have got on your social media through doing a presentation and that type of thing, you know, and that's a hard sell. It's a hard sell because, you know, 5,000 extra viewers doesn't pay for the rent and, put dinner on the table no not not tonight's dinner but it might put next <laughs> month's dinner it's uh it's it's planting the seeds for the future growth yeah 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 cool all right so what are you up to now that you've moved on from the nbbqa what are you focusing the, all, all that energy and passion on <laughs> well the plan when i started the uh backing out uh, last october was to work on uh, foodsport consulting uh which is uh i run a lot of events in the pacific northwest Last year, we actually had competitions that ended up, by the time you added up all the individual events, over half a million people. Wow. So, so yeah, so I, you know, putting a bit of extra time in that seemed like a good idea at the time. So uh, only pretty much every one of them cancelled this year, but that's okay. And uh, so then I moved on to Plan B, and I'm back working full-time on bushcooking.com, which I am actually really, really enjoying. Yeah, that's got to be good to be able to get back to that because I know that that was your baby. That was your real passion project there. Yeah, it's it's a passion one. It's, it's not necessarily the one paying all the bills right now, but it's, it's definitely the passion one. Uh, it's a bootstrap business. So as I bring in some money from somewhere else, it's always gone in that one to build it. Yeah, yeah. So what, what sort of steps have you had to take with uh, with bush cooking and, and food sport consulting? What what sort of measures have you had to take to ensure that those business was, businesses will still exist um, after COVID? Um, I think the foodsport consulting one's been the hardest one uh, as far as making hard decisions goes. So um, <laughs> I don't know how many people sort of followed that, but uh, literally two hours before we opened to public for a four-day competition, 11 turn-ins in Oregon, uh, Oregon shut down all the events. So we were literally there. We were set up. It was a 30,000 attendee event over the course of the three days because uh, a lot of my events and how I get those big numbers is I team up with bigger events and I put the competition into it. Mm -hmm. uh, so we actually had gov government reps on site explaining all the legalities and criminal offences that we would be 
uh, undertaking should we decide to move ahead, which was virtually impossible. Wow. Um, so that was very emotional and it wasn't so much for me. It was really hard to see the parent event. So it's part of an outdoor uh, sportsman show. So uh, for people in Australia, that means hunting and fishing, <laughs> not tennis and cricket um but you know so we had uh, hundreds of rvs on site i think there was something like 400 uh different people there with different um items they were selling uh, to the best of my knowledge before the event was shut down there was only two people that had actually pulled out of the event as far as vendors go so we were in an area where there'd been no cases at all uh, we were pretty much in the middle of the nowhere it it was the second biggest event for that town for the entire year. So there was a whole bunch of uh, commerce issues and income issues for them. Um, so, yeah, it was just really hard to see that happen. And it's such short notice, you know. So we were literally uh, – I emailed everyone the second that we knew what was going to happen because it was – Let's, when I drove there, I didn't see this coming. Like, <laughs> It sort of just came from nowhere because – at that point, Oregon didn't have anything. Like, it didn't make sense for Oregon to shut down. Um, but we had people who had already gone through security at the airport to, um, about to fly in. We had someone at the Canadian border about to cross the border. I mean, it was really quite a, a hectic and uh, semi-emotional. And I'm just really glad everyone really took it quite well. Um, but for that, I gave everybody a full refund on, on everything as much as I could. We already had five teams on site that were, had a turn in that day. Oh, so wow. we actually, yeah, because that was the whole animal day. We actually do a whole animal competition yep. for that one. Um, and I'd already had all the uh, the steak for like a 30-team steak turning. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, we cooked a lot of ribeye that day. We uh, served <laughs> all of the – and we, we did a, a whole alligator – uh, we did lots of different bits and pieces. I can't even remember. Um, and we fed all of the security and the, the coordinators for the event and all the people before they packed up and went home. And, uh, it, you know, it turned out to be quite a nice, it was actually a really nice day. And, um, yeah, we, we made the most of it. We did what we could. Uh, but that was the hard bit for that. So, since then, I've had two of my other events officially cancelled, um, and a couple of them are sort of sitting in weird limbos. Um, and I think that that's the hardest thing that I'm dealing with. I'm not seeing it so much in the news out of Australia, but everybody's holding on here to the last possible minute, and there's there's multiple reasons for that. So if you were to cancel something now, it's a business decision. If you wait and you legally can't have it, then it activates different clauses of your insurance. But in ah. the meantime, it's yeah, it keeps everybody like, oh, it's going to happen, it could happen, it could happen. So in some ways, I just want to go, look, we're good. Just relax, enjoy your time at home. Because having like little, it's like death by a thousand cuts. Mm. Like this is cancelled, this is cancelled, this is cancelled. But if you just sort of, I've told my kids like, yeah, we're done. So after Christmas, which is done. And food sport consulting, literally, I, I sent out an email to all the people who, who judge and compete and my sponsors. And I said, look, I'm not giving up on 2020, but here's the 2021 calendar. So I've actually already <laughs> <laughs> released the full calendar for 2021. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Um, 
so without getting sort of too too political with with America back open for business um do you think that that people if if someone did go ahead with an event right now do you think people would go like like just uh, so I'm, so I'm I'm asking more about the people than I am about the politics yeah involved. Yeah, politics is crazy. The um, the other thing as an Australian watcher, and something that took me a long time to get my head around when I moved here, is it's not like Australia where you sort of have one decision and the states might tweak it just a little bit and then it just follows through. Like I can literally cross county lines here and it's like completely different. Like every time wow. I run a new competition anywhere, the health department rules are different, the fire department rules are different, everything's different. And the same is with how the restrictions are, if that makes sense, across the country. So the America Open public thing is, is going to be a different story from every single person because we've all got an extremely different, like, situation we're living through, if that mm. makes sense. Yep. So there's some states that seem to have overreacted, some states that have underreacted, but it's not even worth talking about the states because then the counties underneath it are completely different. And I've noticed where I'm living in my county, which just for the record has four times the death rate of the whole of Australia, um, I've noticed now that the cities within that county are also putting out their own rules. So there's like rules with rules with rules. So it can get very confusing. Wow. But in answer to your question, there was actually an SCA event uh, last weekend, I believe, in Arizona. So people following heat maps will see that there's not very much heat there. Um, and I know people travel down from Utah, and I, I'm not very good at memorizing um, other people's events, but I think there would have been at least 35 teams at that. Oh, wow. Uh, it's certainly came across as being very successful in the social media and all my friends that I saw was there. Uh, but again, I don't like rubbing salt into my own wounds. So I didn't want to watch it too much as I'm Fair enough. Home. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I certainly so, understand that. Yeah. See, the other thing that uh, is some of the, the food sport people that I'm talking to now is even if we push through and get some of these big events happening or even some of the smaller events is what's the demographic of the competitors like even some of my competitors, I know that they're not working now and they don't have money coming in. And then we, where I live, I've got this sort of weird other sort of thing where I'm talking to people and they're like, sorry, I didn't get back to you. I've never worked so hard in my life. And they're working like 10-hour days every day working from home. Oh, wow. So, so it's sort of, they talk about the great divide, but I'm seeing a divide at the moment. Mm. Um, because I, I, I literally, I know people who are just working the hardest they've ever worked. And then I just know people that want to work, they want to get on with things and they just can't. So everyone, again, everyone's just got a different story. And then even if we do have the events, um, it, it is the sponsorship money going to be there? Again, some people's sales are going up. Some people's sales are going down. If you're like at capacity of your product because things are going well, you don't want to market because then you can't fulfill on your delivery. If you're not selling enough, then one of the first things people cut from their budget is, is the marketing dollars. So, again, it's just like it makes your head hurt. Again, 2021 is going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, 2020 can just uh... – just go away. Um, I, I actually had a very similar conversation just recently with somebody about the barbecue scene, the barbecue competition scene here in Australia as well. And that um, this particular person was saying, look, even if we do clean up COVID pretty quickly, and it looks like we have over here in Australia, where, where the kids are going back to school week after next, 
Um, it's it's looking really good over here. This person was saying, look, even if they do clean all that up and we can get competitions back on, um, a lot of businesses aren't going to have the money to be the sponsors of those events. So yeah. we, it's a it's a you know on flow of problems that that might impact the actual barbecue scene. So. Yeah, it's pretty. Definitely gonna take a long time to settle down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's food sport consulting and and how your time at home has uh, has affected that. Tell us about bush cooking. I'm I'm assuming because like I I know that I've got a, got a lot more time to uh, shoot recipes and write stuff <laughs> and uh, do all my photoshopping and that. I've, I'd imagine you've uh, you're much the same. Yeah, um, I'm putting on a lot of weight just cooking, like because I'm not eating for like my myself now I'll just start a day and I'm like whoa I just cook these six recipes you know and for some reason recipes that people want to see online tend to like be the fatty salty sugary ones yeah. so I've never baked so much in my life <laughs> um but yeah it's been really good I've been building up a lot of content just content 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 uh it's all about uh positioning and and that's sort of the new words that everyone's getting out there is uh, positioning for when things come back. And we all know that for social media, anything online, the content is king. So the more content I can do now, um, the better. Uh, have to eat. So that's great. <laughs> it overlaps there. Uh, so, yeah. And then, so when I'm not eating, uh, I'm not exercising. I'm sitting in front of the computer working on the, the geeky backend side of stuff a lot. Um, so I had a few changes, like, uh, for people who don't know, when I took on the uh, NBBQA job, I basically had to mothball my website. So I sort of sat off to the side. So, you know, as I saw articles come through, I saw things changing in the industry. I sort of had like this wish list of things that I wanted to do. Um, I have my developers on a retainer. So, I wanted to make wow. sure that they always had stuff to do because yep. um, if the website breaks down, I need them to be there and they, they do all the code updates as releases and stuff comes out. I don't do any of that myself. Um, so they had a few projects and code that they wrote, which was sort of sitting in this weird half rolled out limbo waiting for me to do content things. So I've been slowly working through all that too. So that's been it's been fun to tell the truth. <laughs> I didn't realize how much I miss it. And uh, my kids as well, like, my son came to me the other day and he's like, oh, mom, you're just so much more happy these days. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it must be the global pandemic. That's what it is. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it's just been really good to be working back on bush cooking. Yeah, yeah. Well, those those boys must almost be teenagers now, so they'd be at that stage where they're, <laughs> where they're going to eat six full meals a day and then and then turn around and ask you for more anyway. So it's, uh, it's, it's probably good that in that regard. And that was interesting what you said about how, about how now's a good time to actually – get your social media stuff in line because when things, when places are open for business again, people are going to start going to the first place that comes to mind. And if you've kept your social media up, like you, I mean, businesses in general, if yep. they've, if they've kept their social media up, then they're going to be in the forefront of those people's minds when it, uh, when everything does kick off again. So that's really cool. Really good advice there. Um, so now before we move on to the next part of it, you and I have been talking offline about lamb and uh, and the different things that 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 happen with lamb over there. So, give me a bit of a rundown on on what the deal is with with Americans and lamb because my my cousin in law from Arkansas thinks I'm nuts for, uh, for for how much lamb I love to cook and eat. 
Yeah, I'd love to say that I truly know the answer, but I don't. Um, But it is weird. It's just really, really weird. So um, although I sort of knew that there wasn't that much lamb around, I mean, pretty much if you, where I live at least, if I want lamb, pretty much have to go to Costco, Australian lamb, New Zealand lamb, and I can get about three cuts. That's about it. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, when I, uh, the first ever Australian competition I did, because you guys had the lamb category, I was like, oh, I'll just go buy a lamb shoulder and do a practice cook. And I went to four different stores, and then I finally had to buy this halal one, and it was $60, and it was like this tiniest thing. I was just like, this is crazy. Like, I just hadn't really thought about it, because you go to the shops, you buy what's available. And you do what you want. So then I went to like the dream team competition, uh, Fort Worth. And I was the only person there without a TV show. Still don't know how I got to, to compete against that. So you've got like Chris Lilly, Myron Nixon, oh, wow. uh, all of those guys. And we're doing this sampling competition and we had to do 2000 samples. And so I was the Australian team. I uh, called in, we had a, about four Australians there, a chef Richard out of Nashville. He's, he does got an amazing uh, farm a table restaurant there, Green Door Gourmet. Um, and so, and we came in and we decided to do lamb. And so there's, there's like all these people lined up and there's like, it's like they pay their ticket, they've got the ticket and they're standing in line. Some of them were like there for like 15 minutes. They'd get to the front of the line and they'd go, oh, is this lamb? And they'd just turn around and walk away. <laughs> like they wasted all the time. And that's how much they did not want to eat the lamb. And then I had so many people at that event that came back. I was like, oh, that was the first time I'd ever had lamb. Or that was the second time I had lamb and the first time was really, really bad. <laughs> so then I started to, um, to do some research on it. And from what I can gather is even though stuff sold as lamb here, you've heard the old saying mutton dressed up as lamb, it's mainly mutton that they're eating, which is not as much of an enjoyable experience. It's, it's not nearly as much fun, no. <laughs> no, and I was even reading something the other day where sometimes like, they're passing goat off as as mutton. And then and passing then, that off as lamb. <laughs> lamb. So it wow. gets into this really weird thing. I don't know if that's true or not, but I did read it because literally the definition of mutton was, was um, yeah, goat or lamb. And I was like, that's, that's not really right. But anyway, <laughs> so um, but it's sort of, it's slowly around. It's, it's definitely expensive meat, you know, economies of scale. Uh, pretty much all the lamb um, I get, I know is coming from small local farms if it's American. I di- did actually get the opportunity to, to start working with the lamb board. Uh, we actually had an amazing lamb planned for the Friday night dinner at the conference, which unfortunately didn't happen as uh, well. It was on the one list of, long list of things being conference that been cancelled. Um, but they actually run one of the coolest competitions I know of uh, outside of sanctioned competitions. Uh, it's called Lamb Jam. Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's actually really massive. And it's it's more chefy, but they, they get together and they cook lamb. Their events have known to sell out in 24 hours. It's just this crazy, like, wow. chef's competition. And they travel all around the country and they do, like, these heats and then they have the big final. And le- believe it or not, uh, from what I understand, um, Barrett Black from Black's Barbecue in Texas won it. Oh, wow. Year. Yeah, so, you know, barbecue still rules. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it was a chefy competition, like our barbecue pit master came out on top. So, yeah, but 
lamb's, you know, they're doing a lot of work to get lamb a little bit more popular. Yeah. yeah the I've, other interesting, yeah, sorry. I was just say, I've, I've, I've heard that prices are quite, uh, are, are quite high for it as well. Yeah, it, it is really high. Um, cause it, obviously if it's coming in from Australia, there's a massive logistics cost on top of that. Um, I know when I first got here, I was talking to the uh, person who actually looks after this um, at the embassy. I don't even know if the embassy is there anymore, in Washington, D.C. <laughs> um, and they were saying when they first started importing the lamb here, everybody was complaining that it was too gamey, which is how I actually like it. So instead of, like, flying it and getting it here really quickly, now they sort of put it in a shipping container and let it come across slowly. So by the time it hits the market, it's had time to uh, mature more and it's not as gamey. It actually becomes less gamey the older it gets. Oh, okay. So they're, they're I didn't know that. They're kind of using the transport process as an aging process as well. Yeah, and and then it's cheaper as well. So that's that's what I was told. Don't know if it was true or not, but uh, I like that. That it makes sense. Seemed to make sense. <laughs> You're listening to the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd Ben Arnott. Alrighty, now you celebrated a pretty huge milestone there about, uh, what, two weeks ago um, to do with uh, one of your favourite social media platforms. Tell us a bit about what that is and uh, and, and what that milestone was. Uh, that would be the Pinterest milestone. Uh, so, yeah, Pinterest is uh, actually my favourite uh, social media platform and I know that not many people will agree with me with that, uh, but it's it's doing really well right now as a platform during the whole COVID because there's not really much opinion on it and there's not much politics on it. And you, it's more of a, uh, a pull than a push, if that makes sense. So you've got Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and, they, you know, you get on their, their lists and they're, they're pushing through stuff and it comes through whether you want it or not. You get to read it. They run a cool algorithm. I know the average Facebook page at the moment is hitting somewhere between 10 and 20 of people who are actually registered with the page will actually ever see it. Less and, than and that's that. a hard... it's around seven now. Yeah, mm. that'd be about right. Yeah. So, you know, unless you're like really trying to follow, I mean, the other day I was playing around on Facebook and I'm trying, I'm cleaning things up a little bit, trying to be focused. And I was like, oh, wow, like I remember signing up for this. I used to get stuff for them all the time. They wonder why they stopped posting. And then I went in there and they're posting like three times a day, but I'm not seeing any of that. So it makes it hard. So Pinterest is different. They like to say it's like the human, like collated search engine, I think is how they're selling it these days. So nothing goes on there unless a person puts it on there, if that makes sense. So it's not like you build a website and then it just naturally ends up there. Like you have to put it there. So somebody's actually found this and thinks it's pretty cool. And then you pin it. And then if somebody else pins it, then the algorithm's like, oh, well, somebody else pinned this. It must actually be pretty interesting. Um, so it's, it's very human-based, if that sort of makes sense. And it's also very visually based. I very rarely read anything attached to them. Sorry, I I have lots of friends who spend hours like writing those and researching hashtags and all that sort of stuff. Um, but even like if you take a Google search now for recipes, they're saying somewhere between 30 and 40% of people don't even look at the, the, the 
normal web display, they'll instantly click over to the images and just scan all the images. And I know myself, like sometimes I've gone, you know, like at the moment I've got a, a piece of like pork chop in my fridge. So I might like go pork chop recipes, click to the images, I'll scroll down, I'll see something and go, oh, that's a good idea. It won't even open the recipe. I'll just go make it up. You know, so it, it's sort of interesting. So we've spent all this time learning how to, write words and get keywords in there. And it's not like it doesn't count, but when it, people are looking at the images, then it's completely different again. It's like, are you, you know, what's the title of your image? Have you marked it up? Like I, I even was reading somewhere the other day that if you make an apple pie and you put a picture of the apple in the background, there's recognition now software that goes, oh, there's an apple in this and it's called apple pie. Oh, it must be really good photo and we'll put that one near the top now i don't know how wow. true that is it's super scary that is true but literally i'm watching because i'm on lots of food blogger forums i'm watching them now go okay we got to put the cherries in the cherry recipe and put fresh apples in the apple recipe and so they're really thinking about this really hard any picture you see on there if you just think oh yeah people just post stuff and it just gets there it's not it's so much competition, it's crazy. And they talk about things I haven't even thought of. So, but I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, yeah. Now, you you mentioned hashtags there before. Um, there's a, So, hashtags are obviously important with Twitter and uh, and Instagram. Um, Facebook, yeah, it's the, the jury's out on whether hashtags actually make a difference to the Facebook algorithm. Are they actually important in Pinterest? Everybody keeps telling me that they are. I only uh, use usually three hashtags, maybe four. And one of them is always bush cooking. And that's more because if I type in hashtag bush cooking, I get to see all my stuff. <laughs> um, so it's a shortcut, lazy thing for me. Um, but I know even though the hashtag's there, if it's not there, it's still going through and using other criteria that might pull it to the top if, if depending on what person searches, if that makes sense. I know Twitter is super important mm. um, and they say it's important in Pinterest, but I'm not necessarily seeing that. But then again, maybe I could have double the views um, just because I've been hashtagging properly and don't know it. Could be, could that's be. The, that's the joy of social media. It's like the best computer game. Anyone who plays computer games at home, any of those crazy games, they should totally get into SEO. It's like being paid to play computer games all day. Like, what's the code? Is there a trick to this? Someone just gave me the hack for that. You know, it's just yeah. it's what it is. Yeah, it's all strategy. That's what it I like is. about it as well. I, I, I quite like strategy-based computer games. So, yeah, for me, I... I'd, a big part of that is sitting there trying to work out the puzzle. Um, so I guess we've talked about how people put photos on on Pinterest and other people sort of re, re-pin them or they pin from a, a website back to Pinterest. They can pin that back yep. themselves. What what benefit does that have for, for the businesses? Like what does Pinterest really do for businesses? Okay, so Pinterest, uh, the biggest difference with Pinterest to other social media is – it has the potential to sell more products than anyone else. So if you're selling something, uh, Pinterest is really good. Like uh, you see all the time you hear about like uh, like weddings in particular, but I'm seeing more people building the like my perfect outdoor kitchen. And so then they'll start building like all these compositions. So then when they get around to doing it, then they've got all the pictures. So all of a sudden I know uh, here in America, um, uh, 
there's a brand out of Texas and they're just dominating it. Like I think every, cause I have a dream kitchen that I'm going to build, you know, one day when I win the lotto and um, they're like on every second pin has got their brand on it of all these beautiful kitchens. And so when it comes to like designing my kitchen, they're, they're right there. I click on the link and I open to the page. Oh look, I can buy it right now. So selling is the, the main thing they do. And then the second one is sort of more that, that recipe stuff there's a it's, it's almost like cult like for recipes uh where you go in you find the recipe i mean i search most of my recipes on pinterest now before i do on google um and i don't know how that ended up happening i, I my guess is if you go to a search engine like google um i'm not in australia it's taste.com and then it's all recipes.com pretty much every single one and then there's some random stuff usually dominated by magazines and news agents so it's not the best recipe you're seeing there what you're seeing is the one with the most paid staff and the biggest budget where if you go to pinterest you very rarely see any of those big brands coming through so i start to get into like the little bloggers pins where i pin on it and you know and then they have like those seven scrolls worth of my grandma and this and 20 tips. And, and then at the very bottom is the recipe. Um, so I've been finding that that's a lot more useful and it's particularly good at getting away from pop-ups as well. Oh, <laughs> some yeah. of those, some of those ones now, like you're trying to read the recipe, it's like sign up for a newsletter and then like, this is on sale. Like, and you know, and, I know that there's one website and I have to literally go in. Occasionally they're the only one with a recipe I want. It's like, okay, turn off this, turn off that, like turn off the sales of everything. Now when I print it, turn off all the adverts. And it's it's just like, I don't want to go there even though I know they have good recipes. And, you know, so Pinterest is a workaround for that. It's a lot more of the smaller users. It's definitely a good way. And I know people uh, with food bloggers in the food blogging section, uh, which is where most recipe sites tend to come from, um, who make their entire income just out of Pinterest. Don't wow. ask me how because I still haven't worked it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, when I went to the Food Bloggers Conference uh, last year, there was three people on stage and all three of them had two employees and themselves that their food blogs paid for. And one of them did it 100% through Pinterest. One of them did it 100% through ad cycles on their website. And the other one did it mainly through direct sponsorship like writing posts for people and, and that type of thing so they comp all had completely different business models and I walked away just going okay so the answer is there's no answer you just gotta work out what works for you where your strengths are and go with it but I've never worked out how these people make so much money out of Pinterest so yeah it's uh it, it's interesting when you go to those conferences and you know people talk about how successful they are and blah 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 but you never you never really know like I, I, I did dabble with, um, with uh, putting Google AdWords on the Smoking Hot Confessions website years ago. And because, uh, you know, everyone was talking about, oh, you're going to make loads of money on your website with Google AdWords, blah, blah, blah. So I put all the, like I put the, the ads on there and set it all up. It took me six months to make $22 and Google, <laughs> and Google doesn't pay until you reach $100. And yeah. I was like, you know what, I'm sacrificing the, the integrity of my site, the the visual appeal of my site, for it's going to take me three, two and a half years to make a hundred bucks. So they got the yeah. chat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one of those women up there, she was getting over a million hits a month on her website. Wow. She would 
post an, on a work day, she, like, so I'm assuming five work days from what you're saying, she posted, cooked and posted 10 recipes a day. And I was just like, A day? What? And she's like, and everyone in the whole audience did the same sort of thing as what we did, just, oh, what? Turn to their friend and she goes, look, I was a professional chef. How many, th- like, meals okay. do you think I was doing <laughs> a day? Now all I have to do is cook 10 and photograph them. At the end, I went to her website. It was one of the ugliest websites I'd ever seen in my life. And the photos were like, <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, okay, lesson learned. Content, content, content. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, just if you've got like 100,000 recipes and you get a million hits, that's only like a couple of recipes hits per recipe yeah yeah so you know it's it's you know you just got to have a strategy it doesn't even have to be the right strategy i don't think i think you just have to believe in it and execute on it Mm. yeah nicely said you haven't actually uh, said yet. I don't know about what the um, what the actual milestone was that 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 (laughs) that you hit because that was pretty impressive too uh yeah so my facebook uh, my facebook my pinterest uh broke a hundred thousand uh, last week, and as of this second, it's now 188,000 a month uh, views on my Pinterest. So I'm super excited about that. That is really cool. That is really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you, so people make money then by they they see your your picture on on Pinterest with a link back to the site. They go back to the site and then they make purchases or whatnot through there. That's, that's a way to do it, but the way that people are actually making money as Pinterest is basically to become a, uh, an influencer, and there's actually a whole influencer network. So when you hit certain milestones, um, I, I've blown past that milestone now, so I could ring up and go, hi, my name's Safran, I've got this Pinterest account, this is how many views I have a month, uh, and then they basically act as an agent. So the rule of thumb is like you can get $1,000 a pin, just one pin once <laughs> wow i mean i think the world the record that i'm aware of is like one of those hollywood type got like 150,000 for one pin or something um but <laughs> it's it sounds super sort of super easy but you know for a pin it's you you know you have to do the photography for it you have to get it set up you have to already have the people wanting to see that I mean, if I posted a wedding dress now, no one's going to look at that. But if I post something about outdoor cooking and then somebody's got some money and they want to get into that arena. So that's why the agencies are really good with target matching and stuff. So that's sort of how that gets. And then usually it links back to an article too. So it's there's a little bit of work around it, but, you know, for $1,000 it's still – it's it's worth doing. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's that's the benchmark one. Like I'm definitely not there personally, but at the same time, I'm not. I've not been pushing this out there. If that, if that makes sense, uh, this hasn't been my prime thing. So I feel like I'm still getting ducks in a line, uh, getting everything sort of back up. Uh, and it's a really interesting time in the world of everything on computers and social media. Um, and search is because basically all the algorithms are failing. Like Google did a massive code update um, starting last week. So it does like these huge code updates about four times a year. Uh, Of course, it does the little ones like everyone else, but it's just pushed them through. And basically like, you know, people were going really high for no reason, dropping down for no reason. Um, I know with my Facebook, I have spent so much time on that, just trying to get rid of, there's no other better way of saying it, the crap. 
that's just been coming through lately. I mean, it's, it's just it's just crazy. So trying to get back to a feed where I was seeing food, where I was really seeing my friends. Um, you know, I never used to get political posts. I never used to get cat photos. And now like, I feel like I can't get away from them. So I don't know what happened to the algorithm there. So, you know, it's just been interesting seeing all that happen. I mean, uh, I mean, Meathead did a big post on LinkedIn and his numbers skyrocketing as well. Pretty much everybody in the food sector, our numbers have been going up. So one of the big tricks is, uh, that I'm trying to work out how to do and, and focused on now is when people start going out again, I want everybody else's to drop, but mine to stay. Yeah, so, of course, it, yeah, yeah. so it's all about now is building up the brand awareness. So at the moment, because everyone has time on their hands and they're like, Oh, okay. I got to find like a recipe on how to cook my ribs, you know, in a rushed environment, you're looking at two, you know, in the current environment, like, you know, an hour later, like, oh, yeah, there's a 20th one. I'll just open and read. Yeah. So by doing good branding, having quality, I'm hoping when they get things get rushed and rushed and rushed, they see a bush cooking brand and that's their like, well, you know, I had a good experience with that last time. You know, it loaded quickly. It was clean. I got to the information quickly. I'm going to go back there. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. Now, before we just cut to the break there, you were starting to mention um, the the website Bush Cooking and the different recipes and things and, and how you're writing all that up. Um, I know that you're doing extremely well um, in that as well. And uh, it's it's um, uh, multiple award-winning uh, website for, for food recipes and all that sort of stuff. And um, it, it encompasses barbecue and all different styles of outdoor cooking as well, which is cool. Um, I think you might have seen the the photos of the new fire pit I've got in the yard. I just bought a tripod so yep. I can actually hang my uh, my cast iron um, uh, camp oven there, which is fun. I did a beautiful bit of uh, beef and bacon stew there the other week. So you, you, you've got all those types of websites there. And one of the biggest things to get those recipes seen is SEO, which I understand you you, you know a lot about. So... Tell us about what, what SEO is and uh, and we'll go through it from there. Okay, so SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Um, and at the moment, there's another one too, which I'll just throw out there, which is SMO, which is uh, Social Media Optimization. Uh, so I run uh, a fair bit of both of that on my site. So the social media one, just to go over that quickly, because um, a lot of people aren't really thinking about this right now, but is if somebody sees something really cool on your site and they copy and paste the algorithm or they hit the share button, what does it look like when it auto posts onto Facebook mm. or onto Twitter? And you can actually do things in the back end where like, so for my recipes, if you share this, the photo on Facebook and on Twitter doesn't actually exist anywhere on my page because it's optimized for the social media and then it's got a custom concise explanation for it. So, um, and then it moves on and it's exactly the same which happens for search engines. So if you go and you search for a recipe, for example, if you've just typed that up like a normal article and you don't have any schema markup for it or you haven't spent any time on it, 
there's no photo for it. It just comes along with a bunch of text. But if you go look at a bush cooking recipe or any of the, the big recipe sites now, you have the photo, you'll have the stars, you'll have how it's written. Uh, even if you go into the photo section, like we are talking about before, it actually has like a little nice fork on it so you can instantly see whether that has a recipe attached to it or not, if nice. that makes sense. Nice. And, and then with Pinterest, uh, if you're doing all the cool funky code things, when you move it over to Pinterest, so somebody who's really into pins has like a little special pin button and they can pick any photo on any single website. They click on it, they get all the photos, and then it moves over. If you do that from my website, it auto-populates a whole recipe. So the whole recipe is just sitting there in Pinterest. So you oh, wow. click on a bush cooking one in Pinterest and you'll see every single ingredient in it and a small explanation. So what I see a lot when I look at uh, websites in the barbecue sector in particularly, in particular, sorry, is a lot of people have a recipe tab or they have recipes written up, but they're just written up like an article. Mm. So when SEO looks at them, they'll be going, this is an article. So it will be looking for you to show expertise and descriptions and all these things as if it was an article. So then when you've got like a list of ingredients and the descriptions and stuff, the SEO on that for an article is going to not work out really weird. Well, because it's going to go, well, there's really short sentences and there's all these words that have got nothing to do with the topic and it doesn't recognize it's a recipe. If you've got all the correct schema there and depending how you build it, most of the platforms now have different plugins, um, hundreds to choose from, um, it starts to do some of that for you. But it goes from taking 10 minutes to write up to taking like an hour, two hours to write up because uh, you're not just writing an article, now you're filling out, oh, my God, to get one of my recipes up, I would guess that there would be maybe 50 separate fields in there. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's very geeky and complicated. Um, but it's good because then it does all the fancy things. Like fancy things don't just happen, if that makes sense. There's a fair bit of code behind them to make them happen. Um which is why plugins are like the best thing ever for most people. So <laughs> that's the first thing. Like if you really want to get any sort of traction with your recipes, I'd be looking for a plugin. But recipes are also one of the most competitive areas on the website. Oh, like, yeah. On the web. Forget everything else. I think I recently heard there was over 40,000 different websites where the pr predominant feature was recipes. Okay. And we probably can name 10 of them off the top of our heads. Like there's all recipe, taste.com, food network. They're the three that I think of. The Times has been doing really well lately, New York mm. Times. And then everything else is a free-for-all. So trying to get your recipe to the top of that list is really, really hard. And, and that's one of the things that when I set up Bush Cooking, I was really trying to do. I was trying to get all different brands and different people out there and get all the outdoor cooking recipes on one site because then we're all working together to build up like that massive brand and we can take it on. So at the International Food Bloggers Conference about two years ago, I did a, a rather amusing but accurate uh, presentation where if I went through the outdoor cooking recipes, so pulled pork, everyone knows pulled pork. You type pulled pork into the search engine, every single response on the first two pages was like in a crock pot or in the oven. And that's one of the most cliche outdoor cooking recipes out there. And, you know... It, it just is such a shame. And if you do the same thing, like with SCA steaks are getting really huge, I was like, oh, cool steak. And I 
the whole first two pages of steak, like, were just amusing. Like, there was a lot of them in the kitchen, but there were steaks with grill grate marks on them sitting on grill grates that didn't even match up. Like, they clearly wasn't even cooked on it. It was just put on it to, like, the photo. And, and like, these ones which had been glazed with some sort of sauce and ones with, like, massive amounts of flame that you know that the bottom of that was just completely black, but it was a cool photo. Yeah. So, this was, like... The industry as a whole for outdoor cooking, it's hard to get like a good set of recipes. So, you know, I've been working with a lot of people. I think there's almost uh, 35 different people now that have recipes on my website. Uh, Certainly people that you guys would have heard of. uh, Harry Sue's got uh, some on there. Chris Lilly's got a couple on there. Um, and that's from the smoking section. But I've actually been working with uh, Dutch oven people as well. I work with people who specialize in plank cooking. So, the thing that's interesting about our industry is when I first started, if I wanted a recipe on Dutch oven, I had to go to this website all the way over here. And then if I wanted one on smoking, it was here. And smoking's worse because if you want one on pellet, then you have to almost go to the brand you're cooking on to find a pellet recipe. And then you've got like the whole virtual Weber smoking mountain site, which is amazing, but only if you had that particular smoker. And then there was like, there's some things that just don't really exist, like all the pie iron stuff. Like, I heard the scouts talking about it the other day, like it was some crazy, weird, out there thing that their grandparents did. And my son's like, Yeah, I got like five in my garage. You want me to bring some off? It's <laughs> <laughs> so getting them in because we all in this industry, whether you're doing competition or whether you're camping or hunting, we do cross over into all the different genres of outdoor cooking. And this is, to to my knowledge, um, one of the the few places that has all of them. I mean, if anyone wants to know the best Dutch oven side or the best barbecue side, I can tell you, like I've, I've looked around, I know them. I've met, I think, 90% 90% of my competitors I could phone up right now. <laughs> so I sort of know, but I haven't really found one that's very good at, at the whole outdoor, especially like the crossover of family camping type stuff. You know, the ones where you want to get the kids involved, like cooking bananas in the coal and, and tricks like that. And, you know, you, you, when you just oh, go camping this weekend, I need to think of something, what can I cook? That's the sort of the area that I'm sort of working on now. That's where my heart has always been. I just got distracted with the whole barbecue thing when I come to America because I'd never seen it before. I was like, ooh, smoking? What's this? Cool. Another way to play with fire and food. Yeah, so good. <laughs> Speaking of which, I've got the Radar Hill just outside here behind the window. Uh, I've got a brisket and uh, a chuck roast and a couple of pork butts in there when, and I've got a tray of chicken breast that will be going in later on this afternoon. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely some good fun. Um, so you mentioned plugins before. Um, mm-hmm. how important are things like, uh, word counts? Like, um, I've, I've noticed some recipes just go straight into ingredients and directions lists. Others will have a two or three paragraph blurb at the start. Um, are the number of pictures important, uh, recipe download buttons, all that sort of stuff. Like what, the, like all those different features that I see on all these different, uh, different recipe pages. So, so how much weight do you put in those sorts of things? If you're going to do recipes as recipes, then I would try and tick as many of those boxes as humanly possible as far as um, even like nutrition, the number of serves, uh, all the recipes, how long it takes to cook. Like if you've got a good plug-in, they're all going to be filled. Uh, My website has no nutrition at the moment. And when I 
get into the geeky things in the back. It sends a little alarm up every time, like, did you know you could get more views if you added nutrition? And I'm like, yeah, and I know how long that's going to take me and it's not going to happen anytime soon. So, you know, the more of that you can do. With the plugins, they're the ones where you say where you scroll down and then at the bottom is the print recipe. Um, so that's like just one part of it. But generally the bloggers come from a blogging background or the way that sort of the evolution went. So they want to talk about what they're doing and their food. And, you know, and I think I was reading just the other day an article and it was like, oh, yeah, we remember like the, the late 90s where it was all about word count. Um, so some people are still like, I've got to get 4,000 words or I've got to have a minimum of this. But basically you want to like think of it as like a two-step process. The first thing is you've got the search engines. Like everyone talks Google, but there is Bing. And if you're heading, if you're global, you need to think about some of the other ones in other countries as well. And they're like a gatekeeper, okay? But they're not human. So, you know, everything that they're checking as the gatekeeper is ticks in boxes and different things. Like, you know, the, the title says that this is about pulled pork, but if you like have a pulled pork recipe and then you just go, okay, paste the Boston button here, then turn the pork over and the word pulled pork does not turn up anywhere else in that text, it's going to go, it says it's about pulled pork, but it hasn't even mentioned pulled pork. So how can it be? So there's a couple of logical things like that, that, you know, a computer is going to think of. If there's spelling mistakes in it, if there's run on sentences and all that sort of stuff, yeah, it's, it's going to pick it up. I mean, there's free plugins that I have in on my system. Um, I can't even remember what it's called, but now every single box on every single website I go to, it will tell me all of my spelling mistakes. Um, oh, wow. So <laughs> I should know. Um, and there's a paid version of that too. I've just got the free one. So usually everything's got a double step. So you can test stuff and then if you like it, you, you keep it on. So I would be thinking about all those sorts of things. Um, I, don't, I don't want to sound biased because bush cooking is my business, but if I had recipes... Most barbecue businesses where they stand right now, I would tell them to put their recipes on something like mine where we can, I can get them more views and I can get them more backlinks coming through to that. And then the content that they're working on is to really focus on their business. Mm. So if you're selling barbecues, you should be writing about your barbecue and how it works and how cool it is. And you should be Googling your brand name and you should be called Googling, you know, good barbecues to buy, good Australian made barbecues to buy and see who else is coming up and making sure that you're in there, if that makes sense. Yep. So like best barbecue to buy, make sure that there's a web page on your site that says best barbecue to buy is ours and this is why, yeah, if yeah. that makes sense. So it's not like randomly out of your head. It is a little bit like you said before, a strategy game. Google yourself, Google everything and focus on what's going to have the best return on investment. So say you, you have one hour a week to spend on your digital footprint, you know, Work out where that is. Like, is Instagram doing anything for you or isn't it? Is Facebook doing it? Like, work out where it is. Like, because doing everything badly isn't going to sell more barbecues or more sauce or more rubs. You have to take a step back from the passion at some point and work out what's going to make mine do. I haven't posted in my Facebook or Instagram in over six months. 
I feel bad. I think I posted twice on Facebook in the last few weeks because people have been hassling me. But it was just a lot of effort and I wasn't getting anything from it. The other thing I see a lot of, and I know that feel free to ring me up and harass me and debate this because I've had this conversation with a few people in America, is there's a few groups now and they have like awesome networks and they have all these communications and everything, but they're, like, they're trying to sell a product, but they're preaching to the converted. It's like these people already buy your product. They're already using your product. You need to, to focus this time or at least like in your head go, okay, I'm going to spend 30% of my time maintaining a positive brand with people, but I need 70% of my time on getting new people to buy my product and then they can join that group. So you got to think about what's retention and what's breaking out, if that makes sense. And that's the cool thing about um, bush cooking. And one of the things I'm sort of proud of, like I have, I think, 2,000 friends on Facebook. I know it's low compared to some people, sorry. And if you're one of like the 1,000 people I haven't processed, I'm sorry. But- <laughs> processed, <laughs> a- a.k.a. Well- unfriended. Well, no, 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 no. I have like a thousand people who want to be my friends, but they, they, they friend me and I have like 130 people who we have in common, but I have no idea who they are. So I'm always worried that they're going to be, so I try and let them sit for two weeks, by which time Facebook's got rid of them and gone, this was somebody trying to hack you, but then I never really get back. (laughs) Anyway, and, and that's something as a business you have to be conscious of. Like everyone's trying to use my personal page, you know, it's, you know, following my groups and, and my pages and stuff's great. But when they try and do me as an individual, if I let them in and they hack into me, that's, that's a different thing. So I'm sorry, maybe I'm just a little bit cautious. Um, (laughs) Now I forgot what I was talking about. Totally no, that's all right. No, no, that was a nice little, uh, a, a, a nice little, yeah. uh, uh, tangent. Tangent. That's what I'm looking for. Yes, tangent. Tangent. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I find that I, I get 10, 10 requests a day minimum from people I don't even know. And, yeah. uh, and so I, I go through the list of friends in common and see if there's anybody in that, in that list that I have met personally, that I know personally, who probably has, met them and shaken hands with them and and then I'll look at their profile page and if if they look like barbecue people like if they look like they're into barbecue people then I'll yes I'll I'll add them as a friend um and I've set up different friends lists so that when I publish personal photos of me and my son playing in the park or something that only goes to a certain small percentage of that list it doesn't go out to to everybody and I just find I I'll friend like um, accept somebody's friend request and one minute, two minutes later, it's like this page, like that page, like this page, join this group, join that group. And it's like, Oh, right. That's what you wanted. Okay. I see. Yeah. Unfriend. Yeah. It's, it's funny at the moment. I, I don't know if you're doing it, but I get really weird ones. Like, like my veterinary clinic in South Florida. I'm like, no, yeah. it's never going to happen. Like, this, like, it's just they do the like all or something. But, but yeah, like, um, I think I know where I was going. Like, bush cooking, just because of the numbers I'm getting, I know on Pinterest I of those, whatever it was, 100,000 a month, I know that there's only three people on there I personally know. 
So that makes me happy because that's projecting out. So when we're talking about bringing new people in and getting products in front of new people, that type of thing. Um, but then like in Facebook, like Harold saying, like they're pre preaching to the converted and stuff. Sometimes I feel like it's the same 50 people in every single thing I'm in. Like, it's like, you know, I'll, okay. Oh, we're on the West coast one. And these people are talking now. Now I'm in the green mountain grill one and it's the same people talking and it's, it's sort of like you got to sort of know your numbers, if that makes sense. Like that's great and it's seeding it and it's going to draw more people in, but don't go, oh, look, every time I do a post, I get 100 likes because they're liking everyone's because they're hoping that you're going to like theirs because they're all trying to please their market, like because they're the marketing person and they want their boss to look good to them. And, you know, so just if you have to dedicate time to this, just, be conscious of all your numbers. I mean, everyone has access to so many analytics and I don't even know if people use them. I mean, I, I have in Facebook in my page, my business page, I have all my competitors set up and I can go in there and I can see what, how many posts they did each week and how many more people signed up to them than me and how much better they're doing, uh, which is pretty much how it is because they're my competitors and they've been around longer, but I can always see that, I talk to people, I'm like, oh, well, what are your competitors are doing? And they can't even, like, really name their competitors. Never like go, oh, yeah, I, I set up that free tracking of them that Facebook offers me. Um, you know, because if, if they're not really active, then you don't have to be active. I was reading an article the other day. I don't even know. <laughs> Some of the things that people are doing are crazy. And they were like, they know who their competitors are and they will go in and they'll watch their competitors' sites. And if someone asks a question and they take longer than an hour to answer it, they'll jump in and answer it. Oh, right. And, and so they're basically using a, a non-functional, like, page to, to draw people over to there. Mm. Now, it was interesting and I was looking at it and I read it twice. And I'm like, I don't know what the moral implications of this are. I mean, there are industries where no one knows it, no one. Our industry, everybody knows everybody. So some of the strategies that you might read about and other people are doing no problems, you just don't want to be doing them in our industry. You no. don't want to be sharing people's stuff on Instagram and thinking that they're getting click-throughs on that because they're not. You're basically just leveraging their materials. Unless you've talked to them about it, I wouldn't be doing that. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, some of the things that sort, of, that sort of get to me is when you're in a group and someone will post something saying, hey, I've got a group about a similar topic over here. Come join. Like that's that's just rude, you know. It's like, just like delete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See you no, later. And you know, I I try to post re like recipes randomly if someone asks for a recipe, but I'll make sure I'm like not one of the first ten to respond, you know. And I'll put it sort of towards the bottom, like or later in the conversation. And I just and every time I do it, I still feel bad. But everyone's like, oh, thanks for sharing. That's great. And I just feel like, I feel like I'm pimping my brand, like <laughs> like. Maybe my moral lines are like different to other people's, but yeah, you just got to be careful with that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, look, that's probably a nice point to uh, to sort of start start wrapping all this up. So I'm going to uh, to to throw the studio over to you now. So we'll we'll close out the interview. You can put a you can send out some thanks, some shout outs, and of course tell everybody where we can track you down on the socials, which. We now know is not Facebook or Instagram. Um, you I have some messages. I just don't post very often. 
So, yeah, uh, thanks, shout-outs and socials. Uh, yeah, so thank you, everybody, for listening to uh, <laughs> me share my unique point of view. Bushcooking.com, uh, please come have a look at the recipes. Uh, if you cook a recipe, uh, put a star on it, give me feedback personally via Facebook, especially if it's bad feedback. Just let me know. Um, I'm always trying to improve something. If there's a recipe or a technique you're looking for, if I don't know the answer, I probably uh, do know someone who does know the answer. And I'm always looking to learn more um, as well. So I love the questions. I don't know the answers to straight away. Beautiful. Well, look, I'm just going to say uh, thank you very much for, for joining us here in the confessional. And, uh, you know, stay hunkered down. It still sounds pretty uh, pretty nasty where you are. So, you know, um do all the things that you're supposed to do and don't do the things you're not supposed to do and uh, stay safe. And I hope to catch you up, uh, catch up with you in person when I'm over in the States again shortly. Excellent. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. And there you have it, family. That was Saffron Hodgson from Bush Cooking, an expat living in the USA and having a ball in the world of barbecue. So we talked about what she's learned from, uh, from heading up that not-for-profit We've learned about Pinterest and how to get the most out of that to promote your brand. Um, and we also talked about how to best write a, a, a recipe for SEO. And let's face it, most of us have a lot more time on our hands uh, than we did before. So it's a good time to be getting our heads around SEO at the moment. So before I let you go, I'll just give you one more reminder about the beanies in the shop. And uh, as I said at the top of the show, it's a very limited run. So do uh, jump in and get yours soon smokingonconfessions.com slash shop. And so until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions. <laughs>